Welcome to What's Working in Marketing, a podcast for marketers that uncovers what's working across the digital landscape by tapping into the world's best data-backed research and through candid conversations with industry experts. I'm your host, Charlie Grinnell. On this episode, I'm joined by Andrew Roche, Director of Acquisition and Retention Marketing for Trek Bicycles. I'm a big bike fan, so I'm really excited to talk to Andrew today. Thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Charlie. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, likewise. So I always open up these episodes by going back to the beginning, working in in the bike space. I'm sure you've had an interesting journey. So why don't we kind of start there? Because I know you've been at Trek for a long time, but I'd kind of like to learn how you got your feet wet in marketing and kind of how it's progressed into where you're at today. Absolutely. I first got into bicycles, actually. That's kind of where it started for me. I raced mountain bikes uh, as a teenager. I raced during college for a few years, a little more seriously after college. And when it became really clear, I was never going to be a pro biker. It was, it was time to get a, a more serious job. And so um, I went to university for English lit and creative writing and studied a lot of like uh, cultural study sorts of things. Um, so really interested in like sociology and how people communicate with each other and how they failed. At the time I was looking for kind of a next career step. I was working at a bike shop that Trek actually owned in Madison, Wisconsin. Mm. And that kind of got my foot in the door and I joined the communications team at Trek's world headquarters yeah. in, in Wisconsin. Did really basic comms work. Back then, most social media was on comms teams. It was in, it was in a very early era of, of big social. <laughs> and then got my feet wet with email and lots of writing and lots of branding kinds of stuff. And so just got a well-rounded intro to marketing and was really lucky to have some great mentors early on. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of whom I still get to work with every day. Yeah. Um, so started out doing that. And then I had a really unique opportunity uh, that Trek decided to purchase their Tour de France pro racing team and run it as an actual business unit of the company. Traditionally, a bike company sponsors a team with equipment. We, we went straight up ownership. And wow. uh, the first two years of that, I was lucky enough to do a ton of marketing work with them, travel the world, you know, get to experience a lot of the places they race, but also learn things like, how do you build a fan base? How do you understand what gets them really excited? And then also understanding how something that you might think is the same, like it's a team and it's a roster of riders. How do people in different cultures interact with them and enjoy it? And so that's, that's also been really fascinating to me. After I, I worked on the racing team for a few years, went back to Wisconsin and really dug on things like paid social media and working with our independent bike shop owners that sell Trek product yeah. and got like a partner marketing program up and running. And over the last couple of years now, I've been leading a team that focuses on anything in the Google universe, anything paid, paid media display, yeah. um, email, lots of life cycle stuff, still working on the, the partner marketing. And then Trek has also moved into direct owned brick and mortar retail in the mm -hmm. last couple of years. Yeah. And so my team's been helping out with that and, and really trying to keep that moving along from the digital side. So lots of great experiences and, uh, I think some of the key things have been getting that global exposure and kind of understanding what some of those differences are. I'm sure that you got to see plenty of that with Red Bull. Yeah, definitely. Definitely speaking my language. It is fascinating how many things that you have kind of touched in that world that are, you know, all, all linked together by a bicycle, right? Like, yep. but it is so fascinating to see like all those kind of different avenues that, that you've gone down with 
with that business. I want to I want to talk a little bit about like the bike industry as a whole. When I reached out to you to invite you on the podcast, you kind of mentioned that it was already like a funky place in terms of in terms of digital and that COVID has kind of turned that into a bit of a rodeo. Can you just give like a little bit of context into like what what normal funkiness is like and then like how that has kind of been turned on its head or turned into a rodeo? Absolutely. So you know, the bicycle industry, it's passion industry. Lots of the people that work in it are, are really into bike, huge mountain biking nerd myself. Yeah. And Trek is a massive company. It's definitely a long tail industry. There's like four or five huge companies and yeah. a ton of small ones. In terms of the business reality, Trek has built a lot of its success on being mostly a B2B business. We sell our product through independently owned local bike shops. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of, when you're a digital marketer in the space, a lot of the very pure play digital or e-com oriented tactics, you don't always, you can't always close the loop on the sale. Right. And, and so you're, you're learning how to like move up funnel. You're dealing with a lot of the challenges. Uh, I think some people are dealing with, with iOS 13 right now, where (laughs) you just, you can't see absolutely uh, everything that's going on. And so a lot of what you do then is you're really building on brand and you're building on that brand equity so that what you deliver, uh, keeps it on brand and you're trying to build some sort of feedback mechanism. If you can't say this performed well, because it sold a lot of product, Mm -hmm. we can, we can look at some engagement metrics or we can actually solicit feedback. So that's like the normal situation. And we do, we do sell some product through our website. It's not a massive amount though. And adoption hasn't really caught on, especially in the U S people like going to bike shops. Then you know, spring of 2020 hit, everything kind of went sideways. Um, and being a digital marketer, specifically in the weeks that COVID was rolling into the US, we started to see these really strong signals on just sort of our health check metrics, like web traffic overall just took a nosedive. And, you know, it's, it is one of those business health metrics that like we share with the finance department and the forecasting team. Yeah. And everyone, I'm sure no matter what your job was or who you are, you were asking a lot of questions like what's actually going on right now mm-hmm. and what's going to happen next and how, how do I plan for it? And so it was one of those really uncertain situations mm-hmm. where our team could help provide some insight on what's happening with consumers and try to associate some human behaviors with it. So mm-hmm. we're really seasonal business. People buy bikes in the springtime. Yeah. And COVID hit right when that should have been happening for us. Hmm. And so we basically, I, I remember a conversation uh, with our CFO where he was like, okay, nobody's looking at bike stuff right now. What are they doing? And it was kind of this heartbreaking conversation about people are really freaked out now. You know, the economy was really weird for a few weeks there. Yeah. And so as, as marketers, we could really bring some empathy to the situation. And then maybe a month into it, we started to see all of those digital metrics immediately start the opposite. Come roaring back. And wow. And it was such a strong rebound that we're double checking that pixels were installed the right way on the website. <laughs> it was it was like a unprecedented. Little, totally unprecedented. We were one of those industries that got very fortunate. So many places considered bike shops uh, essential retail in early mm. COVID. Yeah, It is a safer alternative for transportation than taking public transit. Parents are at home with kids. They got to get the kids outside in a safe way so they can exercise, go buy them a bike. Yeah. Um, people can't go to gyms. 
there's just this massive, massive demand for bicycles and we call it yeah. the bike, bike boom, you know, bike boom. I like that. And, and it's, and it's on and we're sort of off to the races. And so that was also a time, you know, where we went from having to deliver a really stark reality to the business from our perspective mm -hmm. as marketers to bringing a lot of really good news, uh, to the point that we really had to make sure we were on top of everything. Yeah. Um, and, and so that was, that was really interesting. And so basically what has happened in the bicycle industry, like lots of industries have experienced is the demand has grown so much for bicycles around the world yeah. that it, it, it's grown so much. We don't even know how much it has grown. Like my, my gut is that there's maybe three X the demand that there was prior to COVID yeah. and, and the bike industry, you know, usually grows. We're looking like 10, 20% a year. Yeah. And so now there's so much demand for bicycles because it solves for something that everybody needs right now. Mm -hmm. That our whole business approach of really having to drive the growth has shifted to we need to figure out how to fulfill the demand, connect consumers with product wherever it happens to be. And we can talk about supply chains and how fun that is for digital marketers <laughs> in a minute. <laughs> um, but we're also we're also really trying to learn more about people who maybe they weren't interested in owning a bicycle prior to COVID, but now they are, you know, mm -hmm. what is it that this is fulfilling for them? Yeah. And if we can't get someone a bicycle right now and the lead time for them to pre-order something, mm -hmm. how, how do we keep them engaged enough that they still want to go with track over a yeah. competitor and that we can communicate clearly with them, like how long it's going to be before we can get them a product. Um, if there isn't a bike in stock near them, how close is it like, you know, if you're willing to drive four or five hours, you'll get exactly what you're looking for. There's all kinds of digital marketing tools that we can employ. So yeah. we definitely shifted a lot of where our energy was going in terms yeah. of like channel tactics and then the tools we provide to consumers. Yeah. Super, super interesting. Like taking a, a digital solution and applying it to a supply chain challenge or problem, right? Like I, I think about a lot of, you know, we do a fair bit of business in the outdoor space and, and in talking to some some brands specifically, they're like, hey, yeah, like we don't need to generate more demand right now. We just need to fulfill the existing demand because it is crazy. While at the same time, not letting themselves take their foot off the gas. So a lot of it are kind of a lot of the mentality or the conversations that, that we've been having at least are all around kind of like, okay, what can, how can I like swap out a couple engines on the plane while the plane is like continuing to fly there, so to speak, without like doing it in a panicked way, because we have more than enough gas and we have the extra, you know, to continue the metaphor there, we have the extra engines already on the plane. It's just a matter of like, how can we kind of like do like a pit change on the fly? I, and I so that. it's a fascinating time in business. I mean, I just think back to the, the pandemic of, you know, just kind of what you said, like when it first kicked off, how the economy was kind of holding its breath and consumers collectively were holding their breath, right? Um, so yeah, it's, it's just fascinating to watch like how that's played out two years later. And then, yeah, what this is going to mean, like to your point about the, the industry, you know, potentially three Xing or whatever that is like that impacts supply chain that impacts manufacturing that impacts like so many pieces where it's like, you know, our factories weren't even set up to deal with this type of volume. And like, how are we thinking about things through that? So it's like, you start kind of pulling the thread, so to speak. And then you're like, wow, there's a lot here. It's yeah. I, yeah, I nerd out about that stuff and can go on a full tangent, but I kind of want to, I kind of want to bring it back to the whole title of this episode is, is really around like agility and kind of leaning into dis discomfort specifically in marketing. I feel like marketing can be generally uncomfortable most of the time um, yeah. within organizations. <laughs> Could you share an example or two of like 
moments over the last couple of years where you faced a ton of discomfort um, or some kind of complete unknowns? And like, what was kind of your mentality? Like, what was the example? And then how did you kind of think through that or approach that just from a problem solving perspective? A couple things. So we, if we go back to like that early COVID time, we had a great plan for yeah. how, uh, how our season was going to go. We, you know, we, we really had our act together. We yeah. were really ready to drive growth. Yeah. And so we put a lot of energy into driving growth. <laughs> and, and I, and I think I'm fortunate to be part of the team at Trek because when you hit really uncertain times, that's really going to show off what your culture is like. Yeah. Um, and so we had, we had this huge campaign planned and ready to go. That was about, uh, really driving, like replacing short car trips with bike trips. Yeah. And we we're like, we, we think we can really connect with where people are. Um, we had a whole bunch of like influencer messaging ready to go. We're reaching outside of the cycling space, um, talking to families, that sort of thing. And so it was a very, it was a much more accessible sort of initiative mm -hmm. than, than a passion industry like the bike industry might normally do. Yeah. And then COVID hit and we really had some time where we had no idea what was coming next. I say that we're, you know, we're lucky to have the company culture that we do because everyone was really good at communicating about what they were seeing. Yeah. Right. What, what are the trends in your performance metrics? What, yeah. what do you see happening? Even though they're very severe, how do we say, okay, uh, you know, this is uh, for, for us, CPMs like got super cheap, mm -hmm. like, cause everybody just killed their spend. They were just pausing, stop the bleed. At, at everything. And yeah. when it picked back up again, we were already on top of okay, let's keep the drama low. Let's just say what we're seeing and what the recommendation is. When everybody was pausing the spend and website traffic was drying up, we paused our spend and we we're like, okay, we just got to dial it back. We had a lot of really tough conversations with our team about what we're actually seeing in the digital signals, right? That's a great part of digital marketing. It's all kinds of input from from consumers about what's going on. And because we were really good at paying attention to those signals, Mm -hmm. We were also able to see the bike boom right before it hit. We were able to see that increased interest. We were able to see things like just top line website sessions yeah. go through the roof, like, yeah. like crazy growth. Yeah. Um, and so the projects that we'd spent a lot of time preparing for spring, we had to just shelve them and say, look, we, you know, this is everybody's baby and we're really, I, I was very personally emotionally invested in it. Um, oh. and we had all worked really hard, but we just had to say, this is, this is not the world now. Yeah. Um, and one of the sort of Trek isms that, uh, you know, a lot of established companies have like, you have your own mantras. And one of them is that we're fun and flexible and we try to find the fun when we need to be really flexible. And I, I think back to what we did in the first couple of weeks that business really just skyrocketed and there was so much consumer demand that we had people from other business units going and uh, doing backup in customer service wow. just just to keep things going. Yeah, and um, you know, some people on the customer acquisition side of my team were jumping in on the retention and reporting side yeah. and learning how to use tools they'd never dealt with before. Yeah, um, and we had you know we have. A lot of people who've been at Trek for a long time, we have a really high employee retention. There are people who were like, you know what? I haven't worked in 
you know, I haven't worked in a lot of our data backend systems in eight years, yeah. but I, I did at one point. And so, um, you know, people's jobs really shifted uh, for a while just so that we could keep things going and yeah. meet the moment. And yeah. that was really encouraging because uh, it, it was scary for everyone. And especially leading a team where I can't guarantee for my team what it's going to be like over the next couple of weeks. And the plan we have is totally gone. Yeah. Um, having a team where you've already built that trust and you already have great communication is, is just wonderful. Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's funny. You say that the thing that comes to mind for me is I don't know who, who quoted this. Maybe this is some old sports quote is like, everyone has a plan until they're punched in the mouth. Yep. And then like the plan can go out the window and it's like, yeah, you had this plan and you were doing this thing. So it's, it's cool to hear that everyone kind of rallied around, you know, what, like just what needed to happen. Right. And, and yeah. I think back to, um, after I was done working at Red Bull, I worked at in, in women's fashion actually. And like, you know, that time of the year when there was these kind of big things, whether it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or, or, you know, a holiday sale or whatever, there was people taking shifts in the warehouse, filling orders, like picking and packing orders. Cause it's just like, Hey, this is what the business needs to do. And like, you know, it was yeah. a big business. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I love that. Like rolling up your sleeves and just getting after it. That's super cool that you guys were, were able to, to do that. And that like, you have the culture that that's like a normal thing. Right. Cause like some people will be like, yeah, you know, like that's not my cup of tea. And like, off that but I think to your point like I, I always make the joke most mountain bikers you know as I, I grew up mountain biking here in the north shore of Vancouver and like a lot of friends of mine they're all super nerdy <laughs> so I'll yeah. say, like, you probably agree with that like most mountain bikers are pretty nerdy or bikers in general and so um, it's cool to see that they kind of like rolled up their sleeves for the greater cause I guess so to speak I want to kind of like just continue down that rabbit hole a little bit. One of the things when I found you on LinkedIn actually was that you posted about how the team was rewriting job descriptions and, and kind of yeah. reviewing it. And so I'm wondering if you could kind of like talk about that a little bit and yeah, where did that come from and, and what have you learned from that? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Just kind of everything around that. Cause I think some people listening might hear that and be like, whoa, whoa, rewriting my job description. Like that's a little extreme. So yeah, I'd love to kind of, to kind of dig into that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So there's, there's kind of two, two parts to that with, with revisiting our job descriptions. Um, one is when, when your organization goes through a ton of change, like every company has had to go through a ton of unprecedented change. Um, and people are willing to pick up small things or adapt how their job happens. Mm -hmm. It's really nice to have those guiding principles for your organization as a whole. And, and so everybody can say, okay, you know, this is how I know how to do my job and how I fit into the bigger picture. So as an example at Trek, um, the company overall at Trek, we are here to only make products we love, provide incredible hospitality to our customers and make the world a better place by getting more people on bikes every day. That's what we do. And any, you can ask anybody at Trek, like, that's what we're going for. And as COVID has changed and as the reality and context for our customers has changed, everybody has shifted a little bit what they take on. And being flexible to take on responsibilities that are not normally on your plate. You know, I trust my team to make good business decisions. And so I'm not checking in on every little thing. And we did this super fun exercise earlier this summer that I, I'd encourage any team leader to do every once in a while. Mm -hmm. It's a great team building exercise. And what you do is you get the group together. If it's on Zoom, if it's in person, whatever, whatever you can do. One person goes first and say they're your website merchandiser. And 
everybody else on the team gets to add one thing to uh, a shared whiteboard that they think that person's responsible for. And you go around the mm. room and everybody except the person answers. Whoa. And then when you're, when you're done, that person gets to say, okay, I actually do items A, B, D, F. It's great team building because it's really, it's fun and it's funny. And then that person who uh, sort of went first, they get to add the other things that were missed. Yeah. And it helps you, it helps you identify, you know, who's really overloaded in sort of a fun game, positive sort of way. It helps you identify the gaps and it also helps you avoid the conversation turning into, no, you're responsible for this in a finger pointing sort of way. And it just turns it into something fun and everybody can kind of laugh about like, um, you know, two people both think that they're responsible for something. So they've both been checking in on it. It's just a total blast. And then I also think that in times of great change, really clear, consistent communication is just critical. Yeah, It's hard to over communicate. Mm-hmm. So we've been having a lot of fun now in sort of one-on-ones, just going through and just listing off what are the things that you're responsible for? What is your primary business? You know, I, mm-hmm. I kind of have three pillars of my team. We've got acquisition, retention, and then we have retailer, partner, marketing. Yeah. And it's really fun to go through it and say, okay, you know, what is still business critical after all of this change? What is maybe not as important? And to give people the freedom to say that, to say yeah. they think this maybe doesn't really matter anymore, especially in digital when there's totally. huge, not enough inventory. So <laughs> it, it, it's a super fun exercise. I found it somewhere on the internet. It was somebody else's idea, but it's great because it creates a lot of clarity. It helps you identify gaps. And it's fun. And if you're trying to lead a team remote over Zoom right now, everybody's a little fried and it's a fun team building thing to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I want, I'm going to steal both of those. Anybody listening, steal both of those things. The sticky note thing, I'm like, yep, that is such a fun way to do that. And I think back to probably previous jobs I had where I'm like, oh man, I wish we did that. <laughs> because yeah, I think it can be a really, a really great exercise to, to go through. So Love that out loud. I want to kind of switch gears here a little bit and talk specifically more about digital marketing with digital channels kind of becoming more and more competitive with more people spending more time online and and more brands, therefore investing efforts into earning that attention and and capturing some of that attention. Where's your kind of head at in terms of like, it's now getting, you know, day by day, harder and harder to compete for, to earn someone's attention. What should marketers be kind of thinking about to, to stand out? So in terms of getting people's attention, like, and really being valuable for your customers, I go back to some super foundational marketing things that I love to pull out, like empathy first, you really got to understand what it is your customers trying to do so that you can remove the barriers from them. Um, This is something that I got a decade ago from Rand Fishkin. And I, I listened to your episode talking to him yeah. and he brought Rand's it up again. Rand's genius. <laughs> and, and yeah, he brought it up again that you just, you have to really understand what people are trying to accomplish. And yeah. that is a principle that we apply in our digital marketing. So yeah. being found in search absolutely matters. That is a business critical aspect. It doesn't matter what you are selling or what you're trying to promote. Yeah. You've got to be where your customers go when they're trying to solve something. Yeah. And so you want to understand where do they go? Probably Google, but you know, that's, there's, there's a lot more nuance to it. 93% of the time, Google, 3% Bing. <laughs> 
un unless you're in Japan where Yahoo is still actually a really highly used search engine, right? So there's yeah, yeah. Un understanding those things. So empathy first, like really understand what it is people are trying to accomplish, understand where they go to try to answer those questions. Yeah. Um, and then also understand, and this is a really fun thing working in the bicycle industry, you got to understand what they're trying to ask, even if they don't ask it in the way that you think they would. So a really good example uh, for people who aren't into cycling, the bike pedals where your shoe actually attaches to a spring mechanism on the bike, those are called clipless pedals. And there's a lot of history to why it's called clipless, but to a normal consumer, there is a clip on the pedal. And so that doesn't necessarily make sense. And so you need to you need to understand that your customer doesn't know the lingo. You need to really lean into what they're not familiar with yet so that you can create the content that will answer their questions. So like our SEO pages about pedal options for bicycles, mm -hmm. we speak to both the proper terminology and the descriptive terminology that someone might use. And so that, that just goes back to the empathy thing. I also think in digital marketing right now, if you want to stand out, you can't get caught up in a lot of the FOMO or looking at other brands and assuming that they know what they're doing necessarily. A big thing that we talk about on my team is we see another brand that we know is a competitor, we know they're competent, and they are doing something. We want to ask, what do we think they're getting out of it? What kind of business situation are they in that they might be trying this? And how could we find out if it's actually working for them? Mm -hmm. Digital marketing is increasingly opaque yeah. and you can see the front end of it so much that it, if you really want to stand out and you really want to do something that's effective, you need to move with intention. Yeah. You got to have a really solid plan for it. And then I think the third thing that if you want to stand out beyond what's in your digital toolkit, beyond how you optimize, beyond how you target people, your brand is the thing that will always exist. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be new channels, there's going to be new ways to do things, but you need to always take your brand with you as a digital marketer to stay true to that. And that's ultimately what's going to help you stand out more than some of your like, I don't know, in-channel optimizations. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. I, I've been on the receiving end of that when I worked on the brand side where it was like, oh, look at you know, this other brand, look at what they're doing. You know, I, I get an ad week article sent to me being like 80% of American teenagers are on Snapchat. What are we doing about Snapchat? And I'm like, okay. So I would go, I'd look at the ad week article. It would be a survey with 500 teens. And then I'd be like, okay. So for us to spin up Snapchat, for us to program it, for us to show up there, like the amount of investment and what we're going to base that off of a survey from 500 kids who probably did it for like a gift card to McDonald's yeah. really is that is that what we're going to do and so I think that's that's interesting in in terms of like looking outside of your own four walls and it's it's funny like that's our entire business is actually kind of going past that front of house and being able to dig in deeper to be like that's the actual business impact there's the data point there so when we're unpacking something so it's it's interesting to hear you talk about that and we could we could nerd out about that for hours but we're not <laughs> going to go down that that rabbit hole speaking of that like you've obviously been in, in Trex business for a long time in the bicycle business for a long time obviously learning a ton about digital do you kind of have any like tips or tricks or things that you've kind of swiped over the years that you kind of have learned from looking outside and being like ah yeah like that's something awesome like here's kind of what I was looking for and boom I was able to take that and kind of redeploy it within within the business it, absolutely there's a couple really big things that have stood out to me so one is that 
humans pay attention to other humans. And this is, this is like an ad creative optimization sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you try to make eye contact with people. And so you got to keep it human and you're creative. That's a really yeah. big one that I've, I've learned from lots of other brands. I learned that by sort of optimizing our social media creative into the other direction where I was like, you know what? A picture of a really expensive bike with a super bling paint job just on its own gets a lot of engagement. But what actually gets people to interact in a meaningful way is people having fun on bicycles because that's what they're trying to accomplish themselves. Yeah. So that's a really good one is, is humans pay attention to humans. Owned audiences over borrowed audiences is maybe my number one or number two digital marketing soapbox. Yeah. You know, anytime somebody freaks out because data privacy stuff changes, you should just be saying to yourself, you know, how am I actually building a relationship with my customers in a way that they want to get messages from me because they know that I'm there to help. Yeah. So that's, that's my big one. And I love the super boring, not at all sexy channels like email. Email's like my favorite. Yeah. Um, and then more on, if we go kind of back to that creative side of things in terms of like copy and messaging, yeah. you're always trying to learn the balance of cleverness in your creative and just being super straightforward. Yeah. And so with us, we can have really clever like headlines and subject lines and that sort of thing. But we can also say lots of people want to know what they should eat on a bike ride. Here's what you should eat on a bike ride. Click. Yeah. And, and, and that is, you're always trying to learn that balance. And I think oftentimes performance marketing and brand marketing get pitted as being opposite, but I think they're yeah, pendulum. actually, it's a pendulum it, and they're, they're critical to each other yeah. um, as a feedback loop. So that's kind of my other one is you got to have your performance marketing be a feedback mechanism that is always helping your brand understand itself and its customers better. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the age old kind of, I guess, dilemma in marketing, right? Is that pendulum of, of brand and performance, art and science, whatever you want to call it. I'm like, every area of marketing, there is that divide of like the scientist, which is more performance driven and the more artistic person, touchy feely person who is more brand driven and you need both and they're equally as important and like getting them to fit together nicely is a hard thing to do in a lot of organizations. And there's a lot of change that happens and a lot of education that needs to happen. So that's super, super interesting. I want to kind of take a step back. Like, you know, we've kind of talked about like the digital piece of it, just in general, like either inside or outside of the bicycle industry, what gets you the most excited just in general about marketing? Like to your point, there are so many shiny objects out there around, like there is an abundance of shit out there to choose. Yeah. What's the thing where you're sitting there and you're like, this fires me up. And you could say metaverse, you could say like whatever you want, you know, but again, what gets you fired up? <laughs> okay. So as, as a performance marketer, the thing that I get really excited about right now is industry regulation of data privacy and tracking. Mm -hmm. and, and this, I've had some healthy debates with a lot of people about whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I yeah. think that we see more and more brands, um, you know, Patagonia quit doing paid social, Lush Cosmetics entirely yeah. ditched social. They've ditched except for YouTube and Pinterest, I believe. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So they're, yeah. they're in some of it. And I know they also play in the Google space. We can scrutinize them all we want. I think that the conversation about data privacy will help marketing step away from the approach of, I need to get customers to do a thing and mm -hmm. step closer to the approach of, I'm helping people do something they already want to accomplish. Yes. And that is a thing that I think 
uh, leads to more like authentic and responsible marketing. Mm -hmm. And I also think just like, at least in the press release that Lush put, I think it was in the press release, they said something to the effect of, we wouldn't put one of our stores down a dark, scary, dangerous alleyway and expect our customers to meet us down there just to get our product. And, yeah. and so there's, ask a lot of digital marketers, you know, who actually has a personal Instagram account, who uses social themselves, people are feeling a little uncomfortable about it. And so I, yeah. I think for, for me as a marketer, I get excited. I don't know where it's going to end up or what's going to happen next, but I think talking about regulation is, is a, a healthy conversation to have because there's some stuff that we're getting along with these amazing tools that is not so amazing. I think another thing that really excites me, and I've, I've said this plenty of times before, are more the web 1.0 marketing tools that have lasted this long like email. audiences <laughs> like email like email oh man i'll i will i'll celebrate email all day long if yeah. any kind of owned audience um and any sort of digital audience where the context of what you're talking about is really obvious yeah. um so i love reddit as a communicator because mm -hmm. every subreddit you know what you're talking about and a major challenge with social media platforms where everyone is talking to everyone, there's no context. If you want to Google it, there is an academic study area called context collapse, where, um, you know, when I talk to you about digital marketing and all the people that are listening to this podcast, we can talk about it in a certain way because everybody kind of knows what's going on. Yeah. If I'm talking to my parents, that's a totally different context. I'm not telling John and Cindy about, you know, what our ROAS is on our latest ads, I'm, you know? And so when you like context and creating context for customers is really important. They're also receiving a lot of our communications in really noisy spaces, like we, we talked about earlier. And so anything that creates context, especially at, like if you're in someone's social feed and you're serving them an ad, they were just looking at a post from this kid they went to high school with and they haven't talked to in 10 years. Yeah. And the next post is a rant from their neighbor who they try to not make eye contact with when they go out to the <laughs> And your brand is right in between. You can't really control that. Yeah. Um, and, and so context really matters. Yeah. Um, I, I think specifically in the space of the cycling industry, COVID, we call, we call COVID the worst best year ever because it has been the best opportunity for people to discover cycling and for it to help them in their lives live a healthier life, accomplish what they're trying to accomplish, but for a pretty rough reason. And so I'm really optimistic, specifically about bicycles. Electric assist bikes are a huge enabler for people who maybe were turned off to the idea of bicycles previously. And so I'm excited at the opportunity as a retention marketer to really keep the people that have bought product from us still keep them using it, keep them enjoying it, keep them exploring, you know, maybe instead of sitting down watching Netflix in the evening with their family, they'll just choose to go out for a bike ride because that's a thing they've discovered during COVID is that yeah. they can go do that. So yeah. I'm really excited about the future of the bike industry. Yeah. Well, building those habits, right? Like that's, that's, I think one of the things that I was thinking about from like a human psychology perspective, when, when this all started was like, okay, yeah, going under lockdown. Interesting. A month, two months, as soon as we hit three months, I'm like, now we're not talking about a blip in the radar. We're talking about reforming habits. Right. Yeah. And so we saw connected fitness take off. We saw food delivery, delivery, groceries take off. We saw entertainment, Netflix, like all those different things. And so it's going to be interesting to see on the back end of that, looking back, like how much of that stuck, 
right? And I think yeah. like, as like a data nerd myself, I'm like, yeah, that's going to be interesting. I mean, we've seen Peloton, for example, like their growth has like significantly plateaued kind of, right? Like that's been widely reported on. So, so that's interesting because, you know, 12 months ago, everyone's like, this thing is massive. Not to say that it's not a massive business, but like, was yeah. it kind of like right place, right time on the, on the up and up, you know, now is that company worth as much as it was 12 months ago? Maybe not, not saying it's not a valuable company, but like very interesting thing. So I feel like we're going to look back on this and there's going to be so much to learn from this. I, I kind of tend to take a step back and look at things through almost like the economy, right? Like we think back to the economy kind of collapsing in 2007, 2008 there, we didn't have the level of sophistication as digital marketers back then. It was in its infancy. And so we yeah. haven't lived through as marketers what that looks like and how that changes things there because the tools that we use were whatever, the iPhone had just come out, Facebook, you know, like they, they yeah. were like in, in the crib, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I think about that, like looking back, it's going to be fascinating to be like, what are the learnings that we take from this so that if there's another economic correction collapse, whatever you want to call it or something else, there's going to be at least some sort of a kind of a playbook to, to be like, okay, well, here's kind of what we can base this on. Whereas I remember when it first started, we were talking about like, this is like the flu of the, the, back in 1900 or whatever it was like the flu yeah. of 1918 or Spanish flu or whatever you want to call it. And it was yeah. like the, the comparisons just weren't realistic. So super, super fascinating. So as we start to wind down the episodes here, I always ask about this. So I dropped out of university. I never went to university for business. I didn't go to school for marketing yet. I work in marketing. One of the ways that I've learned over the year is reading, consuming information and, and nerding out. So I always like to ask, how do you stay up to date on marketing and business? Who are you following? What are you reading? Who are you listening to? Like break that down a little bit. Oh, for sure. So kind of the way that I interact with, with marketing business is actually mostly on Twitter, building up Twitter lists and Twitter as a platform has been really good in terms of following people. Um, yeah. So like Christina Garnett, I think is her last name who yeah. like kicked off the hashtag marketing Twitter thing. If you are not following that thread, get on it and just pay attention to people. It, the tweet is just over a year old now. And that's basically where it, anybody can start out to start plugging into really valuable people. We mentioned Rand Fishkin for yeah. sure. The guys, I agree with you. That man's a genius. Yeah. And I actually, I love his blog on SparkToro now. SparkToro is amazing. Love that tool. Scott Galloway, who uh, I think is still an NYU Stern professor, just it, lots of hot takes, but also a lot of just, this is the reality of kind of what he's seeing. He's got a consultancy. And then Ross Simmons. Yeah, uh, I we just I had Ross on as a guest, actually. Yeah, so another brilliant mind. Yeah, and then like for people who are kind of interested in the bike industry, there's a woman named Arlie Greenwald who has been around for a super long time as Bike Shop Girl. And before the bike industry really humanized and really came to embrace the casual cyclist, yeah, Arlie's whole thing was talking to normal everyday people about their normal everyday uses of bicycles and she's just such a smart content marketer and someone who I always look to as like okay what's Arlie thinking about next in terms of what's really good so those are some of the people and then in terms of like other stuff that I've got going on LinkedIn learning is super valuable uh, that's a fantastic tool I follow uh, some marketing strategists like Zoe Skamen does just insanely smart things and helps me kind of you know, not get stuck in the bike industry bubble. And then I also think for any marketer, it's good to follow 
industry news and then adjacent industry news. So I'll give you a, a really fun Spark Toro example is yeah. we're looking at some media outlets that our consumers pay attention to that are not specifically bicycle related. And so it's like running and camping and all the, I'll call it the REI collection of industries. Sure. I started following other media news for adjacent industries. That's a super good spot to do it. Yeah. Um, and then especially, so at Trek, we were a company of readers. We have books that the entire company reads every yeah. two-ish months. Some really good books that I've read recently are The Fearless Organization by Amy Edmondson, really about building trust with your team and in an organization. And I think that's super important, especially in really crazy, chaotic times where everybody's stressed out. We just got done reading Rethinking Success by Jay Douglas Holiday. It's not explicitly a business book, but it is a book for business people. I'll, I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. interesting. I'll have to check that one out. That has not been on my list, but I'm holidays are just around the corner and that's where I kick back and read hard. So I will definitely add that to my list. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Last question. You've kind of shared a wealth of knowledge. The most important question is where's the best place for people to get a hold of you online? Twitter. I'm at Andrew Rash. Twitter's where I mostly talk about marketing stuff. Sometimes I talk about bicycle things and sometimes I post pictures of my cats. <laughs> Love it. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed chatting with you and uh, happy, happy trails, my friend. Thank you so much. Take care. For show notes, other episodes, and more content, check out rightmetric.co. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.